Good morning, everybody. My name is, uh, is Nick Schaff, and uh, it's just been a good morning so far. Just getting to talk about Jesus. It's kind of the theme of the day in the next couple of weeks, just talking about Jesus. And so that's what we're going to talk about more, just talk a little bit more about, about Jesus and what it really means to follow him and make a difference and make an impact in Jesus' kingdom. And, uh, and so before Tom comes up, I thought we'd just take some time to even look at, okay, at the very core of, in the very beginning of what it means to make a difference for Jesus, I really believe it starts where Jesus started, in Mark chapter 1. And this is just, I, I just want to even just talk a minute, it's like we're all trying to be leaders in God's kingdom, we're trying to live thriving, successful lives, we're trying to make, have a life that means something, makes a difference, and I think Jesus has the answer to all those questions. In Mark 1, Jesus approaches two fishermen and says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Come follow me. Three words that excited these men enough to drop everything they'd ever known to walk in the footsteps of an inspirational yet new teacher. But I don't think these men could have ever dreamed of what those three words would go on to mean. I don't think they realized who the man was that they were about to follow and how he would go on to change the course of human history. You know, there's never been a man who's changed the world and made a difference in the world quite like Jesus. Let me prove it to you. First of all, his life was so extraordinary that our entire calendar is built around this guy's birth which means that every ruler or king or president to ever walk this planet is dated in reference to Jesus. He changed the way we look at the poor and the outcast and the way we treat women and children. He changed education. You know, the first universities like Harvard in our country were established to train Christian priests. So even our modern education system today was founded in the roots of Jesus. He changed medicine. His example of healing the sick inspired people to start institutions to provide medical care for people in need. You may have heard of them. They're called hospitals. He never wrote a book, yet the book of his life is the most translated and sold and stolen, kind of ironic, book of all time. And thousands of more books have been written about him. His existence has been called the greatest, one of the greatest influences on architecture. And his, and his existence has inspired some of the greatest artistic works known to man. No one has seen his face, yet it is one of the most recognizable in all of art. We don't have any music that he created, yet he's the only man in history to have an entire genre of music in his honor. Gospel music. Jesus never held political office, yet he transformed government, so much so that the country we live in right now and other countries around the world were founded on Jesus' teachings of liberty and freedom and everyone having a voice. He didn't have any kids, yet parents everywhere modeled their parenting after his example. He never had a wife, yet millions of men have studied him better to become better husbands. He took 12 unschooled and ordinary men and made them into the most powerful organization the world has ever seen. Education, medicine, politics, literature, government, art, 
music, social work, business, parenting. Jesus has changed and revolutionized every aspect of human existence. And then when he met the one thing that has taken down everybody else, he defeated it by flat out rising from the dead. I don't think these fishermen quite knew this man they're about to follow. Jesus was by far the greatest leader to ever exist. But what was the motivation that drove his leadership? What was like the engine behind the locomotive of Jesus' impact? I believe it's, it's found here in John chapter five, if you turn me there. John five, you know, in the campus ministry, I work uh, with Georgia State in the campus ministry there. And our theme for the whole campus ministry this semester is we're, we're studying through the book of John all semester. And so all of our midweeks and all of our devos are really gonna be centered around the book of John. And our theme uh, is thirst from that John chapter four where he says, those who come to me will never thirst. And so it's just gonna be cool getting to go through John, the book of John and, uh, and just see what was the secret that made Jesus such, a, such an influential leader. But I really believe that the beginning came right here in John five, verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Down in verse 30, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. You know, what was Jesus's primary motivation in coming to earth? Most will answer, well, it's because he just loved us so much that he came and died for us because he loved us so much. And although I think that's incredibly true, I think even more so, Jesus's primary motivation was to make God proud, to love him and honor him above all else. Jesus, the greatest leader the world has ever seen, was also the greatest follower the world has ever seen. You see, for us to truly live life to the full, for us to live a life that's truly vibrant and thriving, for us to be great leaders, we must first learn to be loyal followers. How often do you think of making Jesus proud? Where he looks at you and says, that's my boy, or that's my girl. How often do you think on a daily basis, of, I wanna make Jesus proud today? How well do you know Jesus? I think it starts with choosing just to sit at his feet and learn from him. I remember when I was a freshman in college back in, in Boston, I went to school for a little bit in Boston, I was the only disciple that I knew of on campus and I was just trying to figure out how do I be like Jesus at college? I didn't know how to do it. And, uh, and so I said, okay, I'm just gonna study out all of Jesus's one-on-one -on -one interactions with everyday people. What did he, I'm just gonna study everything I can about that particular interaction. What did he say? What did they say? What was the situation? How did they feel when he left? When people watched, what did they think? Like, well, how did people react? And I learned, I was blown away by who Jesus was and how he just interacted with everyday people. And so it kind of brought me on this journey where I said, okay, I'm just gonna study out every possible thing I can think of about Jesus. And so I just started going. I said, okay, I'm gonna study out all of his parables, all of his miracles, all the times he says, I am, or all the times he says, I will. What were all of his commands? What were all, what were all of his questions? What were all the times that he was teaching and preaching versus helping and healing? What were his prayers like? What were all the questions that he asked? 
What were the times that he was, how did he interact just with his just with his disciples or just with the Pharisees? How did he treat women? I wrote like a 10-page paper on how Jesus interacted with women. How did Jesus interact with children? And this turned into like a 60, 70-page document that I still add to today and is still a bedrock in my faith because I just got a chance to look and take notes from the master. And as I brought myself to Jesus' feet and sat at his feet for a second, whenever he spoke or moved or acted, I was just like on the edge of my seat. Because I just, as I just took some time to sit next to him, you can't help but just be blown away by who he is and what he's done and the impact that he makes. And as I studied him, I fell more and more in love with him. You know, in my short amount of time following Jesus, I think I've discovered the most basic truth of the universe. You ready for it? It's pretty profound. Jesus' way works. It works every time. In my new marriage, in my relationships, me as a leader on campus, just me interacting with my family, being a great son, being a great friend, every time I've decided to do it Jesus' way, it's worked. It's worked every time. So in order to lead an extraordinary life, in order to lead God's people to greatness, we must first learn to lead ourselves to Jesus' feet. Because just as Jesus was obsessed with following and honoring his Father, we, too, must be motivated and driven above all else to make Jesus proud. Just like those fishermen that day, the foundation of our lives, the foundation of our leadership, the foundation of how we walk on a day-to-day basis starts with those same three words of Jesus. Come, follow me. Amen. Thank you. I need the podium. Thank you. You know, it's a... um, Extraordinary time to live in God's kingdom, particularly when uh, we have the opportunity to be encouraged and influenced by so many great young men of God. I, um, yet I, I'm inspired in so many different ways. I'm inspired by the uh, young men and women who have grown up right among us. We sometimes call them kingdom kids. They were the kids on the screen that we're going to help teach and help change their life because so many lives have been changed. And, and, and young men that we've heard from in recent weeks and in recent months, like Nick Schaff, like Chase McIntosh, like Tom McGurk, and, and like Jordan Massey, who, who grew up among us. There are kids And to be able to see them struggle and go through a journey in their tumultuous middle school and high school years and deciding, what are we going to do with all of this? You know, that I've grown up with and to see them be powerful in Jesus Christ because they have discovered Jesus on their own. Not just because of their parents and not just because of the church that they grew up in. And on the other hand, we're able to see and be influenced by other great young men and women that just came to know Christ like many of us. We didn't grow up around this, but we we discovered Jesus. We got invited to open up the Bible and to be able to meet him or to come to a Bible talk, and and, and men like Zechariah make their decision to follow Jesus, or Adoye Famadum, or Cody Porter, or 
Jeff Hickman or Matt Shear or me or like you because that's our history. And yet, this is a great time to be alive in the kingdom where we got a lot of older Christians and we got a lot of young men and women that are, that are inspiring us and we, we all need each other, don't we? We need each other to make it all the way home. We, we, we need each other to truly follow Jesus instead of just tag along with him. And we need each other to help us accomplish God's purpose that he called us into relationship with him. And what is it? Yeah, it's to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's to love people, you know, to be able to treat everyone as they've been created in the image of God and to be able to change the world by following Jesus. This morning, I want us to think about and continue before we end out our, our service this morning with a simple song and a, a, a simple statement. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back, but let's first of all turn in the scriptures to, uh, to Luke chapter 4. Let's use the passage that Jeff uh, began with last week. Uh, Jeff encouraged us to read the book of Luke on Wednesday night, a great lesson as he made it even more practical and showed the examples in the life of Jesus and his ministry, particularly in the book of Luke, of practicing mishpat, of, of practicing treating all people the same and spending time and being willing to be devoted and care about anybody who came into his path and treat them absolutely with dignity and honor and respect because they were created in the image of God. As we read, uh, we're going to start off with the sermon that Jeff referred to in Luke chapter 1, where after the t his baptism, after being tempted by Satan and overcoming those temptations, he went into his uh, hometown of Nazareth and he opened up a scroll and it was in Isaiah and he started, he started preaching. But before we start reading the Bible, let's just think about this for a minute. You know, at least our baseline, where we are right now, what does it mean to really follow Jesus, to follow in his steps? There's a book that was written I don't know, decades ago, that influenced a lot of people as, as we're trying to make a turn uh, in, in Christianity from this traditional sort of ecclesiastical, liturgical approach of Christianity um, and, and, and to have a personal relationship with God. And that's an important thing. And then to rediscover the vitality and power of the Holy Spirit, and particularly in following Jesus, not just following traditions of a religion, even the Christian religion. And so there was this book, it was written by Charles Shelton, and it was entitled, In His Steps. Any of you remember that book? In His Steps. And the question there was, uh, that, that was posed as somebody was struggling, what does it really mean to be a true Christian? And the, 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 the way they framed it was like this. Just simply ask myself, all during any given day, what would Jesus do? It's a great question, isn't it? What would Jesus do in this situation? And it's the idea of, of, of picturing Jesus a few steps ahead of you at work or when you're going shopping or walking your dog or in the neighborhood or you're out on a date with your husband or your wife and you just picture Jesus out ahead of you. You see him in fellowship just a few rows ahead of you or you see him on your row as he's singing and he's taking communion and you're, you're fixing your eyes, as the Bible says, on Jesus and you're doing your best to follow in his steps and as Zechariah mentioned up here as a young college student, you, you think, it, and Nick referred to it, what, what would Jesus be like 
as a college student? What would he be like as a 16-year-old young guy? Was Jesus ever 16? Was he ever 20? He was doing something, and it wasn't his son of God gig, but he was doing something. He was being in a certain way, after, you know, seeking his father's business and focusing on that, learning the scriptures, learning how to love God and serve his family and the people, you know, around him. What, 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 I wonder what Jesus would have been like as a single man. Well, wait a minute. He was single. And he, what an impact he made. He was single at 28. He was single at 30. He was single when he was taken, you know, from this earth and crucified, you know, for our sins. Well, what would Jesus be like as a single mom, a working mom, a granddad, a grandmother? What would Jesus be like if that was who he was, if, if that was the container that he was in, if that was a body that he was in, if that was a life stage or life situation that he was in? What would Jesus be like as, as a salesman, as a manager, as the owner of a small business? I've been all three of those things at some point, you know, in my, in my Christian life. Well, what would Jesus be like as a, as a, as a, a small group leader? If he were leading a small group or a family group, what would he be like? Or if he was one of the brothers or one of the sisters in a small group, what what kind of member of of, of a small group or a family group would he be like? Do Do you get the idea? This is what it is. It's following Jesus. It's not simply believing in Jesus. It's really hard to spend much time in the Bible and consider the things that Nick shared with us today without believing in Jesus. Almost everybody believes in Jesus in some way, but they try to tailor-make him typically many times to fit their own life situation and, you know, basically what they've decided to do with their life anyway. But, but what, would it, what would it really be like to not just believe in Jesus, but to follow him with all of our heart, no turning back? To, to be able to, to love God and to be able to have a passion to help people understand him. You know, as we, as we take things up in Luke, chapter, in Luke chapter 4, if your Bible's open there, 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 there are three, three verses that it got to catch your attention. In verse 22, 32, and 36. And it's the same basic thought. Even from the very beginning of his ministry, People saw what Jesus was teaching for the most part here. We'll get to some healing, you know, and the way he was treating people in a moment. But they heard his teaching, and it says, they were amazed. Our word might be, they're blown away. I mean, this kid grew up among us in Nazareth, and we saw, is this really Joseph and Mary's son? They were blown away and amazed at his teaching. And then a little bit later on, they were amazed at his teaching. He's in another place, I think Capernaum. And they were amazed at his teaching because it had authority, similar to Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, after the Sermon on the Mount, where people said, Wow, this guy, we never heard anything like this. He's not like our scribes and Pharisees. He speaks with moral, spiritual authority. And then in verse 36, all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words are these with with authority and power? He drives demons out of people. And this is after he healed uh, a a man with a demon. So that, that was the classic thing, being amazed by Jesus Do you remember when you first got really amazed at Jesus? 
not just the church and not just the relationships and not just how sinful and wretched you were and how far away you were from, but how amazed you were when you really fixed your eyes on Jesus. And it started transforming your heart. This, this is where we want to try to stay, to get there, because then following Jesus becomes a much more natural thing instead of just a, you know, you know, a burden. I think that's what does it for young men and women, uh, whether they grow up in our church or whether we extend that invitation with them, um, when, when, when they, they, they radically decide to completely alter and change their life. And it's not just young people, obvious of all ages. But uh, it is truly being amazed and taken aback by Christ. I uh, went back a little bit into my, back to the future, maybe would a way, way, way to phrase it, went back to some of my roots uh, yesterday. There's a, uh, a minister who has influenced a lot, a lot of us, uh, particularly those in the South, and has had a, a pretty far-reaching impact. His name was Chuck Lucas. And he, uh, he was a preacher, a minister down in Gainesville, Florida, at a little church called the 14th Street Church of Christ. And he and the elders there, Rogers Bartley and Richard Whitehead, decided they wanted to try a pilot program and to try something different in the churches of Christ and have a campus ministry that actually ministered to campus and did Bible studies on campus instead of just having Christian students come and hang out at the church and try to keep from being unpolluted by the world. And so uh, Chuck had a great impact on, on, on many, many men and women, and, and so many of you are, are here as an indirect or sometimes a direct result of the way that God was able to, uh, to use him, uh, you know, in his life. Uh, he's been quite ill for some time. He's been with his wife, Ann, down in, um, uh, down in Thomasville, Georgia. Many of you know his kids, Jonathan, and also uh, Leanne and Allison and their spouses. Uh, Chuck passed away. After a, after a pretty long illness and a, a tough physical battle over the last few years. And he died on Thursday, and there was a visitation last night in Thomasville and um, a funeral service this morning. Um, Kelly and I weren't able to stay for the funeral. We, we needed to be here uh, and to be able to speak and, and, and uh, do what uh, we thought we should be doing. But we had a great, uh, a great time with a lot of people. And there were, they were all the pictures and there were the slideshows that you do at these sort of memorials. And you look back and we saw a lot of us, many picture, you know, slides and of some of you here in the audience. And, uh, uh, and, and it took us back, took us back to uh, the 70s. And, um, you know, when we came to know Christ, so many, including some of our elders, you know, here, Ross McKenzie and um, Bob Keene and John Schmidt and it's many others. And uh, I was reflecting back on that time, wow, what, what, what was it that captured our hearts because we had a dinky church building? That was terrible. It did have a Krispy Kreme across the street, so that was a little bit of a draw. But other than that, what much to it. And it was a time where Christianity was completely out of vogue. Don't trust anybody over 30, you know, Vietnam War, you know, rebel against your parents, you know, go run naked across campus. We called it streaking. Where the, the world did that come from? But, you know, all this kind of, it, it was not about being in the Bible belt and going to church. That was just not the gig, you know, back then. But we got changed and, and transformed and it's lasting to this day. And 
many lives and, and generations. And reflecting back on it, I really do believe it was the preaching of the Bible. There was no music. I mean, it was boring church. I mean, in some ways compared to 21st century. Okay, get up, stand up, sing some acapella songs, but people loved each other, and they loved God, and the Spirit was alive, and we always focused on Jesus. All these songs, and the campus students make fun of these songs when we try to teach them songs from the 70s, because they all think they're bouncy, you know, bouncy songs. Jesus is well and alive today. He makes his... Well, you remember that song? Anybody remember... uh, uh, I remember. Okay, yeah, let's go back and remember the song. Remember some of those Jesus songs. Any, any, anybody remember? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus in the morning, Jesus at the noontime. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus when the sun goes down. I mean, yeah, we sang that. I want Jesus to walk with me. Obviously, Jesus is Lord. And then we had this, they were all about Jesus, you know, and, and, and there was this one song we'd sing and the, uh, the, the, the guys would sing, well, I woke up this morning with my mind and the girls would sing, where was your mind? And the guys would go, set it on Jesus, you know, and we just, I mean, it was, it was something. We turned down the lights on a Friday night, sat around in a circle. It was almost spooky sometimes when we would sing those songs. But it was squarely focused on Jesus. And, you know, through the years, I've lost, I've lost my way a few times in Christianity, and almost always because I stopped following Jesus and just, you know, as it said with Peter, followed him at a distance. Do you remember? Or I was tagging along, or I was sitting in church and trying to be a dutiful dad, you know, and, and Christian by coming through the, the right number of meetings. That doesn't really ultimately do it, does it? And I just... In these, uh, we're calling it following Jesus part one. It's actually following Jesus part three because Jeff did one and two, okay? It's just being like Jesus. It's, it's going out like the Bible says. He, he did good and he, he preached the word and he loved people and he took care of people, but he had a real focus on why he was here and what he was doing. It was because, you know, for me and for you, and there in Luke chapter 4, as you take a look at it, you can see he does his first, you know, sermon, and he talks about opening the eyes of the blind, if you're looking and reading, you know, reading along in those first 10 verses, and, and proclaiming release to the captives, and the upsetting the oppressed free, and preaching good news to the poor, and it says they were all amazed. They're all amazed for about three or four minutes, because you're looking in your Bible, what happens next? Jesus goes from the good news to some challenging thoughts. How challenging? Eight verses later, they want to throw him off a cliff, and they run him out of town. That's Jesus. <laughs> he will amaze you and terrify you sometimes in the very same paragraph. And you keep on reading in verse 21 or, or, you know, or you're you're scanning. And the verse I refer to is 28 and 29 where they just are furious with him, his own hometown. And then in verse 31, he goes to Capernaum. And they're continued to be amazed at his teaching in verse 32. And then he heals a demon-possessed man. And all the people are amazed, you know, again, amazed at Jesus. And then we we continue on in, in, uh, in verse 42. And here's what happens. Jesus has been healing, and he's been teaching, and 
He's worn out. You ever have one of those days you're like worn out? Just worn out. Kelly and I are worn out. We were fighting through traffic and construction at midnight last night, trying to get back from Thomasville. It was a worn out day, back and forth trip. And, but, but Jesus not only was worn out from a busy day, but by healing and teaching so much, a lot goes out of your spirit, you know? You give out. You know, power goes out. And he wanted to get up early in the morning like, like, like we do from time to time and, and just get alone to a solitary place and, and get some time for himself. He needed that. He deserved that. He needed it in his walk with God. But the people kept looking for him because they'd never seen or heard anything like this. And so they, they were thronging around him, and, and, and they tried to keep saying, Jesus, stay here, stay here, stay with us. And he said, no, I cannot do that. i got to keep moving because I've got to tell the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. That's why I was sent, and he kept on preaching. That's who Jesus was. And we, were, we know the focus of his life. life Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, being me and you. And so wherever Jesus was, he did good. He loved people. He treated people with respect, created in the image of God. He forgave them wholeheartedly. He served them in any way he could, washing the feet or healing a disease, you know, since he had the power to do that. But there was a purpose why he came. And he pulled together, as we know, he, he was very devoted to a small group of people. We call them apostles, but it wasn't just those 12 men. Also, there were a group of women that were very closely associated with Jesus and followed him as well. At the day of Pentecost, there were 120 that were there together in that upper room. He sent out on another occasion 70 of disciples, men and women, to be able to go out and share faith in the surrounding towns and lay the work for this network of house churches. It would happen when Jesus was resurrected and the kingdom of God started spreading like a wildfire. That's why he came. That's why he was here. That's what he was all about. And he called people like you and I to be able to follow him. Now, when you read on in Luke chapter 5, Okay, would you like an assignment? Wow. Don't everybody speak at once. Whether you do or not, here it is. Read the book of Luke again. And if you've never read it, holy smokes, are you going to get amazed? You'll get amazed once again. Read the book of Luke. Look for the things that Jeff has been speaking about the last couple of weeks that we're introducing here. Ask the question, am I following Jesus or tagging along? Am I following him closely or just at a, a distance? You see, then he met uh, a little bit more fuller detail of what um, Nick introduced in Mark chapter 1. And he comes upon Peter and he comes upon James and John. There actually is a big crowd and he's preaching if you're following along in Luke chapter 5. But there's so many people he has to get in a boat and push out from the, the shore to be able to preach. And then... Uh, he tells uh, Peter the fisherman, hey, let your nets down on the other side of the boat and you're going to get a whole bunch of fish. And Peter said, no, stick to preaching. I'm a fisherman. There's nothing out there. We fished all night. But he said, because at your word, he just took Jesus at his word, even though it didn't make perfect sense in his life situation. And you remember what happened? How many fish did they catch? So many fish, both boats started to sink. That's a lot of fish. And so James and John and Peter and Andrew, they were fired up, okay, about Jesus. But Peter got the message about who this was, and he fell down on his knees. And he said, Lord, depart from me, 
for I am a, uh, a sinful man. And uh, do you know what, what, what the bottom line was? Jesus looked him in the eye, and he said, Simon, Simon. We know he, he later on would tell him, you're going to be Peter here. He said, you're a fisherman from now on. You're going to be catching something more than fish. People, men, come follow me, as Mark says, Matthew, and I will make you fishers of men. As we follow Jesus, guess what we'll become? People who get involved and help others come to God. It's, it, well, it's, just, it's, it's not a duty. It's not just a command. It's just part of following Jesus. If you're with him, that's what he's doing. And that's what you're doing alongside him and you're loving life and you're serving people and you're taking care of people. This is not like a one-off kind of thing. If you look later on in chapter, you know, uh, you know chapter 5 and he calls, you know, uh, a, a tax collector, Levi. I think it's around in verse, you know, 26 or so, somewhere in there. And Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi at the tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said. And Levi got up and he did what? Left everything. And he followed Jesus. Do you see a pattern? When you truly believe in Jesus enough to the point where you're going to follow him, not just come and be a part of the crowd and get inspired by him, you leave everything and you follow him. That, that's pretty consistent, isn't it, with what we know the Bible to say? Later on in Luke, Jesus will just put it this way when there are large crowds following around him. Large crowds always followed with Jesus, and then he, he tried to, to, to help determine who's really serious about following me. And at the end of this, this paragraph, when he talks about what it means to be a disciple, and three times he says, if this is not in your life and characteristic of your belief in me, you cannot be my disciple, he says, so in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Who would that exempt in this room? That's me, that's you. We, we know we don't do it perfectly. We know we got to renew the decision. That's why it says take up the cross every day. We know before we ever get baptized and really decide to become a Christian like Barb did here in this very baptistry on Wednesday night, you got to decide to give up everything. As I count the cost with people studying the Bible, and they're, they're approaching a decision to follow, you know, follow Christ, I usually will ask, will read a passage like this. You, you can't possibly not read a passage like this somewhere along the line when somebody's deciding they're going to follow Jesus and be a true disciple and a Christian. And I'll say, do, uh, uh, do you have a car? And sometimes they'll say yes, sometimes they'll say no. If they do, I say, well, whose car will that be? What would the answer be? Jesus. Do, do, you, do you have an apartment? Do you have a house? Who's, whose house or apartment would that be? It's Jesus. Do you have any money in your pocket? Whose would that be? So you conference with him how to spend it. And you, you have any relationships? you have any friendships? Yeah. How many days a week do you have in your week? It's Jesus. But to think that this is not just a high level, ultra level of commitment, it's just part of being amazed by Christ. You do it. You know, the amazing thing is, I mean, you remember, what did, uh, you know, what did Peter say? Lord, we left everything to follow you, right? 
because it's in the context of Luke 18. When you get there, it's a guy called the rich young ruler who did believe, and he did come up to Jesus, and he, in, in humility, it seems like, he got down on his knees in front of him, and he said, Lord, what do I have to do? And Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. You got a Bible? You seem to, to know it? And he said, well, I've, I've done that. I said, okay, great, you're, you're close. Uh, sell everything you got, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the Bible says this, uh, we know him as a rich young ruler, went away how? Sad. He believed in Jesus. He was impressed with Jesus, but not enough yet to give up everything. Peter says, Lord, you know, we did that. It's probably a couple of years ago now, at least months ago. We did that. And you remember what Jesus said? (laughs) You ain't seen nothing yet. Nobody's given up anything that doesn't receive a hundredfold in this life and a life to come. Amen, church? And that's just what it is, but it's because of that heart to follow Jesus and to give it all to him. And we know it's not talking about for everybody, go sell everything you have and go give it to church or give it to, you know, some charitable organization. Zacchaeus, he meets him just a couple of, a couple of verses later in 19. And, and, and in this case, the rich young ruler was seeking out Jesus. In this case, Jesus sought out Zacchaeus and said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. I just got a sense you're an open guy. Went to his house, and then Zacchaeus was so moved by Christ, and he said, whoa, I... I'm going give, to give, give half of what I have away because I'm kind of a rich guy and I've kind of manipulated things to make a lot of money off people. And if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to give them back four times as much. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. Not because he gave half or all, but he gave it, we did give it all. But he just put, put it at Jesus' disposal. Can you do that again? Can you decide again to do that? I mean, you and I, we just got to do it every day. I had a stinking week, one, at least one day. Terrible Tuesday. What's the Bible say? It says that too. Yeah, okay. We'll come back to that. It tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. I had a pathetic Tuesday. Actually, the whole week wasn't bad, but it was bad. You ever feel like you're hemorrhaging money? That was hemorrhaging. We were gone, Glory Baird's funeral, and lightning surged and blew out some equipment in our house. Naturally, I have a home warranty. And call them, but they don't want to pay for anything because of a power surge. Knocked out our little direct TV box. And my wife is saying on Tuesday, oh, can you fix this? You know, they sent us a new box, and I'm going, I don't want to. I'm, you know, I just was not happy. This was on Monday night. And so I reluctantly, like we do sometimes, husbands, you go in and you try to fix something for your wife. You don't have a great attitude about it, but you know you ought to do it. So I'm fixing the silly DirecTV thing, and then I'm frustrated and I'm mad. I just want to sit down and eat a taco. I bought a taco. <laughs> it was after leadership group meeting. I got home at about 10, 15, I just want to eat a taco. And Kelly wanted me, after I'm hemorrhaging, you know, to fix that stupid little direct TV box, okay? That's where I was at. So I finally, oh, I'm going to go do it. I go back in the other room. I drop my iPhone, and it goes, thud! And it was dead. I was so mad. I went the next morning, and one of the brothers 
He actually got with Steve Brand in the morning. He said, bro, you need a scripture. And uh, he said, let's share our favorite scripture. I didn't want to do it. I was mad. You ever get mad you don't want to be consoled? That's where I was at. It was so bad, Tony Brown met me an hour later, and he tried to give me a scripture. I wore out the whole church. Mark and Lynn Onweller, my wife. I mean, seriously, Jeff, remember? I wore out the whole church because I had a stinking attitude. And let me tell you, you know, I can tell you more, but I'll tell you what I did not do that day or Monday night, and that was decide to follow Jesus. Quiet times help. So the next day, it was better. But, hey, I'm like you, man. I, uh, I'm not always that spiritual. And i got to refocus on Jesus every day. And then I have peace. And the, the thing is, though, focus on like the passage we looked at real quick, is that the, the, the response of people, we've seen remarkable things today, filled with awe, amazement, astonishment. But it happens when we fix our eyes on Jesus, not on ourselves. Okay, how about a takeaway? How about let's just read the book of Luke again, amen? Okay, number two, let's make it real simple, okay? Our, our worship team's coming up. Fix your eyes on Jesus Every day, be amazed, be filled with awe, be filled with wonder, and zero in on Jesus. Following him will be much easier to and make a decision. Could be for the very first time. You're a believer, but haven't really decided to go all in, to repent of your sins, to be baptized into Christ, and give up everything and follow you know, him. Do it for the first time, or hopefully for the last time, and just really go with it. And then make a decision, you know? Have I made the decision to follow Jesus today? That actually is a reasonable question, right? Have I decided, I know I'm in church, but have I decided yet today to follow Jesus today? If not, let's do it. As we sing this song, it just, just says it in, you know, in song what hopefully is in our heart. I have decided to follow Jesus.